song. What do you do when you know that you know that you know that you're wrong? What do you do when you know that you know that you know that you're wrong? You got to face the music. You've got to listen to the Cosmos song. You've got to face the music. You've got to listen to the Cosmos song. What do you do when you know that you know? That you know that you're wrong. What do you do when you know that you know? That you know that you're wrong. You got to face the music. You got to listen to the Cosmos song. You got to face the music. You got to listen to the Cosmos song. WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Afternoon, you've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, let me tell you, folks, so so happy <laughs> to have Katie Hartsock here in the studio. So happy to be here. <laughs> it's uh, we're taping the show. It's uh, February thirteenth, lucky number thirteen, and we're also going to have poet Linda Tomo Panisi joining us um, uh, via phone. So we'll have Linda here for for the first part of the show. Um, Katie is in town. Her book uh, is A Good Wall, a book that Katie's going to tell us a little bit about, um, which is a quartet. And Linda is also in the book as well. Um, Linda, are you are you there? I am here. Yeah. Hey, Linda. Hi, Linda. <laughs> Welcome to Hi. Living Writers. Linda, where are you um, speaking to us from? Where so we can locate I'm you? I'm calling from Syracuse, New York, where I live and teach um, here in a small Jesuit college. Uh, called Lemoyne College, so I'm happy to be in touch with you. Oh well, Linda. Good, well, good morning to you. Well, and and g- kind of good afternoon to everyone. Um, to start off the show, I'll read both your bios. Um, so we'll we'll start with Linda's, um, and and then we'll read Katie's, and then Linda would love to talk with you about your poems in the Excellent. Good Linda Tamal Panisi is the author of Seamless. Perugia Press, 2003, and Suddenly Fruit, Carolina Wren Press, 2006. Originally from Pennsylvania, she lives in Syracuse, New York, where she serves as writer-in-residence in the creative writing program of Lemoyne College. Katie Hartsock's poems have appeared in Birmingham Poetry Review, Southern Indiana Review, Beloit 
Poetry Journal, Rhino, and elsewhere. Originally from Youngstown, Ohio, she <laughs> holds an MFA from the University of Michigan. And go blue, and is a doctoral candidate in comparative literary studies at Northwestern University. Well, welcome, Linda. Welcome, Katie. Uh, Thanks, T. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the series, Katie, that that you and Linda are in? Yeah. Um, so Toad Lily Press is out of Chappaqua, New York, and it's a fantastic group of editors who every year put together um, one collection with four separate chapbooks in it. And so, um, and this year we were lucky enough to have Michigan's own Laura Kaziski write the introduction. And I think she says something really nice about the four poets meeting. Um, she says, through the miracle of the art form, its synchronicities and strange echoes, a kind of choral originality forms. Um, so I thought that was lovely. And so it's really nice to have all the reverberations and sort of echoes through the poets in the book all together. Um, and Linda's um, sequence um, is called Minuscule Boxes in the Bird's Bright Throat. Uh, beautiful title, Linda. Thank you. Linda, would you, just to start us off, would you mind reading a poem? I would be so happy to read a poem. I'm going to read a poem entitled Voice Lessons. And I've chosen this first um, because my my sequence of poems here deals with primarily the main street of a small town. I was inspired by the main street of my own hometown called Oak Street, and I think so often about how that sort of main street dynamic is disappearing, this place where we gather and get to know one another and um, examine all kinds of questions when we're growing up and just living. Uh, so I think it sets up that dynamic and raises other kinds of questions, too, about meaning. This poem is called Voice Lessons. She climbed the dark stairs to reach her voice teacher, above spot dry cleaners and sold on sleeves. Far above the street, she marched down Friday nights in her bright red skirt, the reeds and brass and drums pulsing in her, pushing her forward. Or sometimes she felt as if she and the girls in flirty skirts were pulling the instruments. And in those moments, she wondered if they meant something larger than themselves something that had traveled through the ages like blood or wine. And so in the front parlor now, where the baby grand invited her into its curves, where her hands were learning to assume a folded position beneath her breasts, each Saturday she learned how to breathe to hit the high notes. And her voice in those moments became all that mattered, not last night's streamers still flapping on Oak Street's meters, nor the way her baton had landed embarrassingly on the 40-yard line, nor the crowd's chants as the brass slid into the slip the stripper and each girl pranced forward to perform a solo of bridges or walkovers or splits. And her voice wound around the vase of tulips on the sill, and sometimes it slipped out the crack in the smudged glass and rose high as the geese flying over the town, 
where the boys had begun their sleepy rising and mothers lugged foodstuffs bags to their cars. And fathers did not enter the mines, but gathered in the Greeks over camels and coffee to mull over stats and completed passes. And her voice traveled high and far, sometimes in a language she barely understood, one that had curled inside her like the peel of an apple. And when she stepped back onto oak, the air had grown pink-tinged. Something translucent as skin had settled over the street, had webbed the hands rounding the clock on the Susquehanna savings and loan, and softened the cross jutting from the steeple of Our Lady of Immaculate Conception. Thank you, Linda. You're welcome. Yeah, Linda, and I love that again, last line. I think it um, kind of raises that dynamic of um, what's important, you know, the to the boys in this town. It's certainly athletics and um, that sort of focus. And being from Pennsylvania, trust me, <laughs> football was a major deal, and there wasn't much else. Yeah, it hangs um, in the air, literally in the poem, in the atmosphere of it. Pardon me? It hangs in the air, the sense of football and those Friday nights. Oh, yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, and, and what does the voice mean? You know, what role does art mm-hmm. play in this? Yeah, and, and I and think those are questions that come through in your entire sequence here, and I especially love how... Um, the idea of like containers and what is contained is also through the sequence, like your beautiful line where the baby grand now invited her into its curve and that sense of being welcomed into something. Um, I think that that's like all through your poems. And I was wondering how that relates to them all being prose poems, because it seems like there's the sense of the poem as container here through the prose poem form. Oh, I think that, that it definitely has a relation. And, you know, I think it had a relation in terms of um, what the prose poem invited me to do, actually. So you're hitting right on something that I hadn't thought of in this particular way before, but um, I think the prose poem and the shape of it being kind of block-like and Mm box-like and container-like invited me into that territory to notice that and was a pathway for me to write about uh, it, not necessarily about different subjects, but to write in a different way. The prose invited me to say things differently and yeah. actually did invite me into containers. And there's such a sense of momentum contained within each poem too, like the, the, the way that you, you said it so nicely, what it invited you to do as a, as a poem, as a form. Um, yeah, there's a great sense of like pacing internal to the sense of each one. And the yeah, two- and I think that came partially from the form too, because I had been kind of blocked that summer when these poems were written. And my son, who was taking writing in college at that time, and we talk about these things, and he said, Mom, what if you just sat down and didn't decide you were going to try to write a poem, that you were just going to write? 
And so this idea of, <clears throat> excuse me, not dealing with the breaking of the line and just kind of write and letting what I was writing carry me forward um, was a great relief for me, I think, and allowed um, the experience to be sort of a different one where it was more driven by story and voice. Yeah, and that, I love that you were unblocked by the block of the prose <laughs> poem. <laughs> Absolutely right. I was definitely unblocked by the block. And as I proceeded through the writing of the poems, I think that all became on some level more apparent to me. And then um, the shape seemed to matter even more as I went along to the point where the title even became part of that, the idea of these minuscule boxes that um, the birds have in their throats or that the speaker is discovering in the bird's throats and in the world around her. Linda, have birds been important to you before this particular chapbook? They have. They have. They appear here and there in um, many of my poems in the first two books, uh, but not in such a concentrated fashion as in this one. Um, but yes, they're instrumental. And in my very first classes, in my introductory level classes, I always ask students to choose an animal that they identify with. Oh, that's nice. And um, I always say I identify with the hummingbird because, um, you know, these birds have this incredible capacity to enter different realms at will. You know, mm. instantaneously they can drop from the sky onto a leaf, onto the ground. And I I so love that and how they can, um, it, well, and also how hummingbirds have this need for food. You know, they hunger for five or six times an hour. Wow, I had no idea. Regularly. Pardon me? I had no idea they got hungry that often. Um, they do. They do. They require an awful lot of nourishment because they move so quickly. Yeah, and it's like that's such a nice lots uh, of energy. So you know, I explain that in terms of the fact that I need um, access to food because um, the food in the metaphorical way, of course. Um, yeah, nourishment food for the for soul. Writing and thinking and just pondering. Linda, thank you so much for your poem today and for joining us um, via phone oh, from my New York. Pleasure. And, and thank you to Katie yeah. for setting this up. Oh, I'm so glad you could come, Linda. And I'm going to keep thinking about my totem poetry animal. I love that as a way of thinking about your poetics. That's great. Thank you, and thank you very much for your time. Oh, thanks, Linda. Today on Living Writers, you've just heard a poem by Linda Tamal Panisi. Her collection, Minuscule Boxes in the Bird's Bright Throat, is nested into the collected A Good Wall. I'm T. Hetzel. Today in the studio, Katie Hartsock is here. We've got text behind the glass. We're going to take a short break and be right back.
ain't really sure, but it seems I remember the good times with just a little bit more in focus. I'm T. Hetzel. Today in the studio, Katie Hartsock is here. Woo! Woo! woo. <laughs> Came in on the train. <laughs> you did. Woo, wooing into Ann Arbor. On the train from Chicago. That's right. Last night, it's like in the, the, the free, the big freeze of <laughs> 2015 again. <laughs> we were just talking to poet Linda Tummel Panisi on the phone. Um, Katie and Linda are part of a collection of Good Wall out with Toad Lily Press, a quartet series. Katie Hartsock, George Bishop, Linda Tamol, Panisi, Jennifer Kearns, with a foreword by Laura Kasiski. Um, Katie, uh, thanks so much for coming here to talk about the, oh, the, thank the you. chat book. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I've been um, an in-the-studio audience for Living Writers before, and it's really great to be in the seat. And also a call. You've been a and call, a call in, in. Yes. From, via Chicago. Yes. And so now <laughs> I, it's you've... You've pretty much, ex- and now you've asked questions of another poet. I feel like you've had the full <laughs> Living Writers experience, Katie. Um, and Katie's uh, co- collection is called Hotels, Motels, and Extended Stays. Yes. And so tell us a little bit about how this this group of poems, this series, came to be. Um, well, I've always sort of creatively encountered hotels and motels as these very strange spaces that are simultaneously very personal for a very brief amount of time, but then they're very impersonal when you think of like how many souls and bodies have come through that space. So I started writing the poems sort of um, trying to resist using the first person I um, and thinking about impersonality through them. Um, Eventually I started writing poems um, that did have an I and a you in it too, but the first impulse was to explore like kind of an panorama of absence um and i also Ooh, use, i love that <laughs> i also um give them some really wacky titles um so oh, i love the your titles, titles. <laughs> Wait, we were 
<laughs> well, let's go there. Which, okay. yeah, could I see my favorite type? Oh, One sure. of my favorites, and then we'll we'll hear um, the drop kick me sweet Jesus through the goalposts of life motel. <laughs> That's and the let's have a cigarette and assess the situation extended stay motel. <laughs> and there's the you know the things will never be the same extended stay hotel where like everything in the room keeps changing shape. So it's kind of I was trying Surreal. to match the name of the hotel to something about the physical environment of the hotel but then also like sort of some psychic resonance like something that would uh, be like almost like an emotional landscape or something like that so I, that's one and some of these places are real like the yes. Stere, uh, Stella Maris yes. um, N67 Stella Maris in Ireland yes but some of them are of the imagine the imagined? Yeah, and world. I try to I when the titles have the road names in front of them, that kind of signifies that this is like a more real place that it has a spot on some map maybe. Um that's what I was trying to do with the road names. Well, these all are on a map. <laughs> yeah, some map somewhere. Katie Hartsock. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they, even if they're like the here there be monsters part of the map. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I can sometimes say that phrase to myself for some reason. <laughs> yeah, if you like step into a dodgy <laughs> Like, oh, I think <laughs> Katie, will you read one of the poems to, sure. to start us off to, like, so that people can get a sense of these guys? Yes. Um, maybe I'll read the, the, the poem that the title of the, the, the whole chapbook comes from. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you already said the title, actually. And, and this was one of the early ones, um, that phrase, the let's have a cigarette and assess the situation, extended stay uh, motel. That's something my friends and I used to say if... You know, we had a something we had to consider. <laughs> so, and you said this one, this came early in the series. Yes, it but, did. But you don't order it early in the series. What? How long have you been working on this project? How long has it been sort of percolating in um, there? I think it's been percolating for like six years now. And so, and there are more poems to it than there are in the chapbook. So it was so nice to have them in this sequence here, and then maybe in a, in a future work that there'll be more of them. So yeah. Um, so I'll read this one that gives the, the title um, to the chapbook. And I, I really, and I have to thank the editors, Myrna Goodman and Rachel Simon and everyone at Toad Lily. Um, they did a beautiful, beautiful job with this book. And I, even if it weren't my poem, I would still think A Good Wall is a wonderful title because it, this idea of poets being separated and um, connected through a wall, like through the book. So it's kind of a nice metaphor for something that's a group of us while we each have our own separate parts in it. Um, so, did, so Katie, they, so they have picked this as the yes. title. They found it in your poem. Yes. And yeah. But I think that, yeah, it was just a great, um, it just works really well for the, the format of the book. It's like, yeah, it's a great phrase. Yeah. It has so many layers of, and yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I read, I read, uh, I read this poem, um, which I think, it's great we start off with Tom Petty. Um, he has like you know the Indiana town kind of to his songs, and I think this is kind of takes place in a Indiana highway landscape, in my mind. The let's have a cigarette and assess the situation. Extended stay motel. In order to assess the situation, a good wall is necessary for strategic leaning and contemplative exhales cast in smoke. Across the state highway, the strip mall sits for sale. Its parking lot lamps, empty umbrellas of spit and shine. In this dead of the country night, a passing trucker shifts gears to meet a hill where the pavement looks to end and the outruns, 
The outline of his hat rim, its rope trim as he drives by, is too much a detail of a separate consciousness. Out of the soft turnpike din, an exotic bird squawks, as though being mercilessly mated or killed in the stand of skinny trees by the clothes come and go. But it could be a trap, a maniac with a recorder, a brigand baiting the curious. Neither 24-hour drive throughs will serve pedestrians. Very few walls are no good for leaning on. Thank you, Katie. I love that one. I read that. I, I reread that one last night, and I, the the bird startles me in it. It's such this great moment of tension. <laughs> it um it comes from. It is true that if you are trying to walk up to a drive-through late at night, you will not be served. You have to be in a car. Uh, I know from experience, and I know from the experience that when we were attempting to do this one night, a group of us. Um, without a car, but in need of food, we heard that sound and it was the most unsettling because it, it was this thing that came out of the darkness and I had no, you, you didn't know to run away or towards it, kind of. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> should, should we help or are we being warned yeah, by some uh, yeah, so, bird um, god? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it's, you, so you weren't able to put it off, like pretend that you were Wonder Woman in like the invisible jet and like sit in a certain order, like pretend that you were in the car and, st- and Hong Kong, you know? No, I guess they have no sense actual of humor. sensors that measure oh. the weight of like if there's a, pre- like a, a weight there and then they'll only serve you if it's like a car (laughs) (laughs) yep so don't try it if any take anything away from this show (laughs) oh no there'll be many things just just stay tuned each of the quarters there'll be a little nugget of wisdom katie hartsock will will. advice on getting food late at night like linda's like linda's note of the hummingbird actually that like oh, a yes. yeah, nourishing, hungering for nourishment at many times a day. So. so, so would you be a lion? You know, I was thinking about that, and I always feel weird about calling myself a lion because I'm a Leo. So it almost seems too obvious. Oh, oh uh, but I think great. I, but I think I am actually. <laughs> anyway, I'm just gonna <laughs> blaze through the obvious and <laughs> embrace it. <laughs> and and what are, are you, T? Are you a oh, oh. a narwhal? <laughs> <laughs> like the WCBN, they had that old yeah, the old sticker. The old that's sticker. When, it's true. When I sold my car, that was like I was so sad because I was like, "There goes that sticker I'll never have again." <laughs> um, I don't know. Or maybe, we'll have to think about it. Yeah, maybe, maybe actually, maybe a dog, maybe some kind of yeah. dog. But I don't know. With one with one blue eye and one brown, maybe. <laughs> Well, Katie, let's get back to your poems because people don't want to know about my spirit animal today. <laughs> I don't think. Um, so, uh, with this project, like, when did you find yourself? Um, uh, like, what was were you, what else were you working on these? And they kind of came in a, a group. Like, you kind of kept working in this sort of, or were you working on something else? And then one of these motel hotel, and and is there a difference between the motel, the hotel? Oh. Like, how are yeah? Yeah. Anyway, there's a bunch of questions. Answer whichever you'd like. <laughs> um, you know, grab it's funny bag. That, that Linda said she wrote her sequence mostly trying to get away from the idea like I'm sitting down to write a poem. Um, and I think that's similar with my experience with these poems that a phrase like that, you know, um, bump on a log or yes. um, the only living girl in Chicago, which I would often think of in 
distinction to the Paul Simon, the only living boy in New York song. So these certain phrases would get stuck in my mind. And um, I just kind of sat them down and like kind of made a room out of it. And then and th- thought about it as a room where many people could like kind of pass through. Um, so oh, as a feeling or something. Um, so this is the imagined space then. So you're showing yeah. us the process of creating it. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, so yeah, it's often just a phrase and it, it was a way to feel like I wasn't sitting down to write a poem sort of, and it was just sort of a playful exchange with space um, in that way. And I think the hotel and the motel difference it, and the, and the, if, one, if they're an extended stay or just regular, um, there might be a sense of registers somehow happening. Like if like the the diction or maybe even like the register of the environment like not to say that the motels are trashy and the hotels are fancy but there might be a <laughs> sense of like you know on a high note on a low note where can I afford to stay how long do I need to stay um, how long have I been here like if there's a sense of being stuck in it then there might be the extended stay so um, or one, time to assess the situation. Yeah, yeah. So in one poem that's not in the book, um, the Philoctetes extended stay motel. I made sure he had an extended stay because Philoctetes <laughs> was this Greek hero who was stuck on an island for many years. So I thought, well, that's definitely an extended stay. Uh, it has to yeah, be. It has, it has to, to be. be. Yeah. We're going to take a short break and then we'll come back to hear more. Katie Hartsock is here in the studio. Uh, the quartet series, A Good Wall, is on the table with us. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Katie Hartsock is here in the studio um, picking the songs for today. A little Janis Joplin, Katie. 
little Janis Joplin um, for for WCBN listeners. Uh, I just want to make sure everyone knows that T shares a birthday with Janis Joplin. So that was uh, one of our early bonding <laughs> moments is our love for Janis and, and you, her spirit. And you've had some moments where you've been singing Janis Joplin songs and Anna, because you came here for school. Um, yes. You came here for the Helen Zell writers program yes and um the mfa program here was just amazing to be a part of not least because i got to meet t hetzel and become (laughs) friends um and so just like yeah yeah growing here in so many ways um and yeah it was just an amazing experience and it's so nice to be back in ann arbor today oh well ann arbor misses you i will say that the the students are happier now that you're back for this <laughs> this time um and to read at literati so you'll you, yeah so that'll yes. be sort of this kind of wonderful we, we don't have shaman drum um now but i feel like literati has sort of become this place like a rite of passage or so do you yeah. feel the same way Katie, it'll or? be it's, it's a wonderful sort of rite of passage feeling for me it's a, it'll be um a reading in ann arbor also with laura kaziski who wrote the foreword to a good wall um and you know former mentor of both of ours and just a wonderful poet and so reading with her is just uh, really exciting um and an honor and i can't wait and you're also going to see andrea beecham the hopwood room <gasps> yes so kind yes. of going to, i have a going i have a to... hug and a uh, chat date with andrea scheduled so looking forward to that <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Andrea. <laughs> That's right. Hi, hi to everyone out there listening. Um, so, so Katie, with the um, with, should we should we hear one more of the poems from A Good Wall? Oh, sure. Um, I'll read one that is um, a little more on the map, um, and this is oh. um, um, about. Oh, could you read the Stella Maris? <laughs> yes. I'll read the Stella Maris. That was like a stage whisper, wasn't it, everybody? Uh. Um, So N67 is a road in Ireland, and this title takes its name from a wonderful hotel in Kilkee, Ireland, um, the Stella Maris, which is uh, Latin for Star of the Sea. Um, That's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it has associations with Mary, um, like the Virgin Mary sometimes, too, is the Star of the Sea, so that there's some Catholic sort of resonance going on there, yeah. Um, we should do a shout out to Tom Lynch now. Yes, actually, through the generosity of the most amazing uh, Tom Thomas Lynch, uh, friend I, of the show, friend of the show, uh, <laughs> T and I got to go to Ireland. So this poem would not have happened without T and without Tom. Um, so I'm honored to and be without, reading it without JJ McMahon and without JJ McMahon and the the parishioners of the pub in, in Kilkee. <laughs> That's right. Um, so N67 Stella Maris. You came to be undone, historian of light, by your histories. To pile cuts of turf and bricks of tea, ignite the cottage stoves. To walk the coastal road whose edge refused to be fulfilled by any will. As if something worshipful, worshipful, can be pronounced by rituals of loneliness that do not end in solitude. Off-season guest of a seaside town the boarded-up arcades and beach gazebos peeling paint made an initiate of you. God, that last bit made, made an initiative. An initiative. 
Wait, now I can't say it. Oh boy, someone get Hutzel some we, more coffee. We'll have to have the initiate initiative. <laughs> we do, we do. Someone needs yes. a leg up with it. But and yeah. the peeled paint and the that that's what it takes is this. Uh, yeah, a sense of of coming apart to maybe come together. Yeah, and I think that there's a way that certain landscapes. Um, yeah, I, I guess the phrase make an initiate of you, like you become a follower of them in some way that isn't doctrinal or anything like that, but that there's a, a magic and a sense of unity that you enter into in a way. And, and I think that's how we, we have felt in, in Ireland on the coast there sometimes. And going to see the holy wells or so. Yes. And, yeah, and yeah. there's just a sense of something inviting you in and to, yeah, to keep a part of yourself there. Too. And so, and you have to be careful of that feeling when you're too near the Atlantic cliffs. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Do <laughs> not be too invited. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it's so windy. Katie, how long? So when did you? When you were a little kid, were you um, writing poems? Like what? Like let's go in the wayback machine for just a second. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was writing terrible poems. Yeah. When I was hallelujah. A kid. Yeah. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> I think my mother still has quite a few of them. Hello, Marianne. <laughs> Shout out to Marianne and Youngstown. <laughs> yes. Um, hi, Mom. And also, my dad was actually a great influence on my beginning to write poetry. He wrote poetry and often, you know, read, I mean, my whole family read poems. Also, my mother's father, um, he sang a lot of Irish songs, particularly Irish songs. So I think that I grew, growing up, I was always around music. Also, my mother was always singing. Yes. And so, and, um, dancing. and that's where I got it from. Um, so I just think I've always been surrounded. Luckily, I mean, it's, what a what a wonderful thing but by song and like turns of phrase and kind of you know um playing with language and like loving language um and surprises that it holds within so um so yeah but I you know it took me yeah as it takes anyone a while to get out of like a sort of terrible poem phase especially if you're you know but I do think my first poem do you remember it, Katie? Well, uh, one of my earliest poems was in actually in that Child's Magazine Highlights. <gasps> and it was called... <laughs> it was called Werewolves Don't Go to Summer Camp. <gasps> and it was about, you know, a deep oh. a deep contemplation on uh, various villainous creatures like werewolves and uh, vampires and what they might do during the summer. So... <laughs> Um, but yeah, so then I, 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 I went. so wish that we had that. <laughs> I think my grandmother, um, Does Bubba maybe, has oh, it. Oh, Bubba has it. Bubba okay. has it. So maybe we'll get her. Hi, Bubba. Um, and um, so, so then I went to the University of Cincinnati where I studied classics and English literature and started taking creative writing classes. And my great mentor there was James Cummins, um, the poet. And um, that's where I sort of began my love with contemporary poetry and also reading at the same time like Homer and Virgil and so it was just a really great time and after that I came to Michigan and now I'm at uh, Northwestern University where I've gotten to sort of marry those interests in classical literature and contemporary poetry um, when I'm working on my dissertation which is about how classical poets as well as contemporary poets sort of revise myth um, so it's yeah, it's but that's also been really fertile to the writing. Um, as as I've been, how so? Um, well, I, as a, as a graduate student working on you know scholarship, it can be uh, 
wonderful but also exhausting and so sometimes I go into the literature I've been looking at as a scholar and I try and think about it more from a, a poetic side and so I find a lot of poems have been written that way like things that I've been working on for school have just sort of emerged into poems um, leaving behind the argument and going into other kinds of thought and detail and so it's you're all, you're imagining you making you're making this other almost uh, imagined space. Yes, like um, you were with the hotels and motels, but in a different way with this material. Yeah, that you're yeah, that's, for your scholarship. Yeah, and so they they are meeting in a kind of atmosphere that is the, a connection across the ages. Um, yeah, it's great. And, and a, 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 there's a a letter press here in, in Ann Arbor. Yes. Tell, can you tell us a bit about this? Please? Yes. Um, Wesley Tanner uh, is the editor of Passum Editions, which is Latin for um, here and there. Uh, so it's like a scattered kind of thought. Um, I love and how he, you know all that, like the, the, the Latin. Katie can try, like at, at the drop of the hat, you can do oh. like lyrics to some song from the like early 70s and translate Latin and <laughs> talk, talk about deep myth. Yeah. But anyway, back well, to the letter press. Yeah, well, and I think that the study of Latin has been, I started studying Latin in high school. My great grandmother was a Latin teacher in Ohio. And I, so that's also been a huge part of the language interaction for me um, and knowing the etymologies of words and, and all that stuff. So, um, and play and like, play. You... Yeah. So, it, so um, I was so delighted to hear that but uh, this uh, Passam Editions here in Ann Arbor is going to create a chapbook out of um, a single poem. It'll be a sort of um, small uh, letterpress chapbook. That would um, be so beautiful. And, and, and the it, right way for this poem to be in the world. I'm so think? delighted. Yeah. And so the poem is called Veritas Caput, which are two Latin nouns meaning truth and head. And um, I was invited to contribute to an anthology of poems about the Mississippi River and I decided to follow this um, bit of information I found out about how the headwaters for the Mississippi River in Minnesota got its name. Um, and it's it, Henry Schoolcraft renamed the, the lake after he kind of um, had cartographically identified it as the headwaters. And he, um, na he renamed it Itasca, uh, which is the last four letters of Veritas and the first two letters of Caput. Um, so I don't know if I have time to read the poem now or shall, okay. So, um, so this is a meditation on the river and all kinds of sort of Midwest rivers and also naming things. Veritas Caput. One, rivers ask you where you're from and never wait to hear the answer. That faraway look you get, now I know the place too. Now you'll see me there. Two, if we spit off the Market Street Bridge into the Mahoning, just to spit at something from above, part of us became Shenango and Beaver and Ohio, all the way down to Cairo, whose name it so much pleases me to say out loud in how it marks the realm we live in, which does not please so much. Then at Cairo, Cairo, that mouthful of us at Cairo joins the earthquake river. Three. Sources fascinate. Fascination can pervert. The Ojibwa name for the lake where the Mississippi rises was changed by Henry Schoolcraft to sound Indian but be Latin for men of letters. Lake Itasca, the last four of Veritas, the first two of Caput. Truth head, truth mind, truth headquarters. 
People say Itasca means true head, which is false. That would be verum caput, or if you want to be true to Latin post-positive adjectives, caput verum, which leaves us with either Lake Arumca or Lake Aputve, equally plausible to me, unlearned as I am, in this school-crafted logic. The former sounds hungry, and the latter satisfied, not a hunger or satisfaction that is Indian, but Latin, salivating tribute to men of Rome. Four, Riverside and Youngstown, we might have found a fine little locus amoinus were it not for the smell of the Mahoning's funk. No, we cannot swim in and no, cannot drink the water where I'm from. Cannot imagine that. Here's my lap and a book. Drink up the old pastorals. Five, it's first meant Elk Lake which already spoke the truth, which already was suggestive of a head, of antlers, nostrils, eyes. Veritas caput, say it like an aging German, and it sounds like something true that's been broken. Veritas caput. Six, where have you gone? No river would ask. Body of water, another name for lover, rider, swimmer. That head of yours is elsewhere, drinking from the source. Thank you, Katie. You've got living writers today on the program. Katie Hartsock is here. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Scott Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel. Um, today, Katie Hartsock is here in the studio. We've got text behind the glass. We've got the unicorns. Shout out to all you unicorns out there. That are still alive and kicking. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't miss the boat. The boat missed you. <laughs> Um, 
So thanks so much for being here today, Katie, because this has been absolutely lovely. It's so great, and I'm so glad we played the unicorn song because um, when when T and I were were here um, living and having fun together and thinking about poetry as poets, we often would sing that song, and especially the "I write the songs, I write the songs," and so. I think that sense of dialogue um, came in and like back and forth came into um, a, pro- a project we did, which I'm like super excited to read a couple of poems from um, with you today, T, um, called Apples and Pears. Um, and so this is a, a poetry project, T and I have, it's been percolating for a while. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, brave. well, maybe this will resuscitate. I it think a bit. so. We'll yeah, see. I might <laughs> press the go button again. So, um, so we decided to write pairs of poems, and so the project is called Apples and Pears. And um, we take a phrase that is um, sort of two things together, like rugged and majestic, hell and high water, young and restless, ball and chain, bread and circus, um, and things that, so the, I think the technical word for that is called mirisms, like kind of like they're part of each other, and they I'm mean- I'm learning something now. Yeah, and they, <laughs> I didn't they know mean, we were doing that. <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing. Um, we're, and they, I knew we were up to something. <laughs> something good. Um, Knock on wood. And- um, so the, the the poem the titles mean would mean their own thing by themselves, but they mean something greater together, and that's how the poems are meant to kind of. They, that's what we hope. Yes, that's yes. what that's our aim. Yes. So, um, so this was the first one we wrote, wasn't it? This first pair. Yes. I think. This yeah. Was the, and we also that's chose a common image between the poems. So, um, so, yeah. So this one should we? So this one was a moose. This is a moose, okay. which, which we love. Okay. There we go. Rugged. Undeniable moose, with your hardy hoofs of survival. Meet me off the road on some mountaintop. At twilight, every stance a natural postcard. Is there such a thing as too brave? Can you ever say, I should not have loved you? Majestic. Up north in the summer midnight, the real rough campers hear cries, deep sorrowful sirens, then catapults of splashes. It is the moose jumping in the lake to flee the swarms of black flies. Stinging, swollen, they low and low and leap, the lake water a cool cloth. They moose paddle with hooves, dewlaps submerged, their heads little icons moving across the surface. On world maps, the continents seem to swim, as lakes swim within land, as moose in a lake, as the camper feels mostly safe in a tent, the netting, the nylon, and pulls his unzipped sleeping bag around his shoulders, kicks his left foot out, flexes his hairy big toe. Rugged and majestic. Rugged and majestic. (laughs) Um, I don't know why we get such strange glee saying that phrase, too. Uh, I think we tried to embody that to be to be rugged and majestic. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just just in daily life, everyone, right? Let's, let's live it that way today. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! That's a second nugget of wisdom. Oh, Mark it down. No, there right. you go. <laughs> um, so um, this next one is young and restless. Young and restless. Okay. So here we go. Young. Your car is your horse. I heard him say as he got off the bus at one of those forgotten depots with the comely curves of Marlena Dietrich, a woman who doesn't know the last thing about cowboys. 
That's true. He's right. I didn't even miss him. I didn't even look back. The grain in the fields rolled into infinity, and I knew once I got my horse, I could gallop. Hatless in the new winter, I have nothing to lose. The gasp and release of the greyhound doors, the bended knee music of misused harmonicas. And I am no longer ashamed to sit under the moon, eating can after can of baked beans. This can only happen in wild westerns. This can only happen after crossing the shrieking plains into the enormity of your soul. This can only happen at the bus station. Restless. In Lost Canyon, the ghost cowboys ride snorting horses through unborn swarms of flies on a carcass of a mountain cat no one ever saw. Bees tumble drunk into cactus flowers, their hours-long bloom. The sweetest nectars are the briefest, and deserts love best the meanest stingers. The dead posse rides, getting meaner and more beloved in the Red Rock's ultimate indifference. They search for salvation, laying low in a hideout, and plan their ambush every morning. One cowboy rallies the rest. Well, boys, it's like they said before they cut off the monkey's tail. It won't be long now. <laughs> you delivered. <laughs> so that has been one of my favorite poetry projects in my life. And uh, we will continue writing these apples and pears. <laughs> That's right. Um, yes. So hope you like them, folks. <laughs> Publishers take notes. That's right. <laughs> We're available for contact. We're right, exactly. <laughs> um, and for requests. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah. We'll yeah. Send in your ideas. Type them up on typewriters. Yeah. Um, so, so Katie, with with the um, the poems and the scholarship, it sounds like you found a way to have the work being in. Um, your mind is open enough and big enough where you're sort of working with all of these materials. Um, I don't, I, I guess what, what is your favorite thing that you're writing right now regards to maybe with the poems, maybe we'll go back this way. Um, my favorite thing, I guess I'm at a point now where I, I have to really be writing nothing but the dissertation. Um, so I've really been throwing myself into that. Um, but it, it's, it's helpful because I write notes for poems um, and sort of scratches. When I was at Michigan, you know, I got to know um, and, and know the work of like Ann Carson and yes. Linda Gregerson, yeah. both of whom are wonderful scholar poets. Um, and also um, at Northwestern, I get to work with Reginald Gibbons, another wonderful scholar poet, critic scholar poet. And so I've I think part of my being able to to make a balance is to sort of understand that maybe it's not a balance. Maybe it's just like this kind of give and take, like it doesn't have to be either or that both kinds of thought processes, both like sort of the analytical and the creative are, are kind of mutually enhancing each other through, through the ways. So, and this comes up like in, um, I have a poem called crazy that, um, I kind of make an argument for when Penelope recognizes Odysseus in the Odyssey and, um, and it, but it works as a poem, but it also like, I kind of also wanted it to be an argument, like without footnotes, of course, but to kind of add to the scholarly discussion of like, when did she really know he was home? Um, and so that's kind of been a fun form to work in to kind of, um, 
make points and make a suggestion and then flesh it out in sort of a poetic way, like using imagery and um, and pacing and rhythm rather than like, you know, scholarly evidence to, to make the point. So, And that's so amazing, too, because I feel like this these elements um, and some of the myths have been part of your work, but nature has also uh, yes. been sort of a touchstone or something that's been a presence. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, I uh, write a lot of poems in my head when I'm walking. Uh, we talked about this in Tom Lynch's class here, the importance of walking and thinking and how that kind of makes its own method of composition. Peripatetic Katie. That's right. <laughs> Um, but so, sorry, but its own method of composition oh, as you're walking. Yeah, and like, but and... but you know, here in Ann Arbor, the arboretum was super important to composition. I used to walk by the river, and especially in the prairie field, um, and just sort of sit there and look out. And it is something I miss quite a bit in Chicago. We, I, we do have the beautiful Lake Michigan, but um, it's not an easy place to get alone in trees <laughs> on your own. Yeah. So, um, so I think that that's also and been that's your natural landscape in a way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, from young town and the the river valley um of the of the mahoning there and so sort of not mountains but sort of a rolling landscape similar to to here so i feel like we should go to the prairie field with a little plaque and we'll put it out there <laughs> that it's katie's prairie field yeah, maybe we could mar- have a bench and uh put a poem on it <laughs> Ooh, put a poem on it instead of a bird that's right <laughs> put a poem on it <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, get ready for summer. There's going to be poems on things. <laughs> We're going to need everyone in on this. Yep. <laughs> Bring your hammers. <laughs> and your poems. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. Um, I think, yeah, that I don't always want to be cerebral or abstract. Like sometimes I want to, through a poem, um, evoke a sense of place through you know, a detailed attention to what's before me and what's around me. So... And also, I feel like you always manage to have a sense of fun in them as well <laughs> and weave sometimes even lyrics from songs that then, I mean, I should tell you all, like if you're you're bound to be treated to Katie Hartsock singing a bit during, I think, every poetry reading. Do you work in a yeah, bit of a song, Katie? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, particularly uh, there's Tom Petty, there's Bob Dylan, there's Janice, there's um, uh, sort of like, you know, the old rock and roll hits I was growing up with in the car with my mom and listening to all that. So I think that those play in my head as I'm as I'm writing and bits of those come in um, as some of the soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To like today. A, yeah. Yeah. Um, and more obscure things, too. Like, yeah. So. Like what? Like uh, oh, oh, oh it's, so, it's, so, it's obscure. so obscure that I we can't, I can't think can't of it right grasp now. Grasp onto it. <laughs> um, remind me, what what's one of your karaoke songs? That it's Ooh, the, uh, is it cross town cross town traffic? Okay. Jimi Hendrix. That's, Tire tracks all across your back, baby. I can see you had your fun. <laughs> see, we weren't gonna get get away without some some singing. I don't have a cross town traffic poem yet, though, so maybe. Ooh, that's got to be on deck then, Katie. Yeah. Could we make a request? Yes. So then, um, next time we talk, then yeah. maybe we'll have. Yeah. Could there be a crosstown traffic? Apples and pears. Or, or motel? Or, or I, motel, I don't know. I was yeah. trying to think, is that? The tire tracks all across your back, motel. <laughs> could be. <laughs> could be one. <laughs> Poet at work. Here it is. Here it is. Um, and, and Katie, what, um, 
what uh, well if you were going to say anything to like the the young poets uh, of America <laughs> and the old poets of America um, and the middle-aged poets of America wow and the poets I that wave I would and... <laughs> say to go um read the Iliad but then also um listen to um Madeline Peru there you go. There you go. Katie Hartsock, thank you so much for being on Living Writers. Co- thank you so much for having me. This is so this was a, so great to a, be here with my my good my dearest friend and poet and I who admire so much, T. Hetzel. Katie Hartsock, a good wall. Katie Hartsock, George Bishop, Linda Tamal Panisi, Jennifer Kearns. Um go grab this book out with Toad Lily Press. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. I think I'd like to go back home and take it easy. There's a woman that I'd like to get to know. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Don't you go anywhere else because it's time for the Drive Time Polka Party. Pretzel carts, cheesesteak, clam bakes, polka bars, Camden Yards, and Fenway Park. That's what I like about the North. Diners, delicatessen, stuffing it, stuffing it, ain't dressing. Catholic churches for confessing. That's what I like about the North. Football in two feet of snow, and Lambeau Field in ten below. If folks don't like you, you will know. That's what I like about the North. Harlem Jazz, Chicago Blues, Motown, Soul, and Jersey Bruce. Prince and the Revolution, now that's what I like about the North. Iowa's Field of Dreams, soda fountains and egg creams, and the Braves ain't America's team, that's what I like about the North. You got the Indians in Ohio and the Vikings up in Minnesota, Mary Tyler, Moore, and Rhoda, that's what I like about the North. We ain't fixin' to do, we just do it And when it snows, we drive right through it We smoke tobacco, we don't chew it That's what I like about the North Browns, Rangers, Steelers, Yankees, Norton, Ralph, Alfalfa, Spanky Collinwood was the home of Frankie That's what I like about the North I can't get enough of them buffalo wings A Coke's not Sprite, if you know what I mean That's what I like about the North Kibasi and fried bologna Hard salami and provolone We don't eat Christmas 